everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Robert Kloss, he was recommended to me by Megan Lamb. I've done two episodes with her. If you liked those, you'll like this, and if you like this, you will like those. Robert Kloss is the author of The Genocide House, A Light No More from Inside the Castle, The Woman Who Lived Amongst the Cannibals, also from Inside the Castle, The Alligators of Abraham, The Desert Places, and The Revelator. He lives in Chicago. If you would like to help out this show, you can do so in a couple different ways. Patreon.com slash NoisemakerJoe is the place to go. For two bucks a month, you can help me pay my student loans and get episodes a couple days before anyone else. You can also toss me a one-time donation at paypal.me slash NoisemakerJoe, or you can buy my novel. It's called Tired. It's on Amazon. And it's pretty good. Without spending any money, you can do things like following me on Twitter and Blue Sky. That's a new thing I'm doing now. It's Noisemaker Joe on both places. You can also tell a friend about the show, rate the show on places like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can retweet my tweets and or skeets about it. You can skywrite, that sort of thing. Or you can just listen all the way to the end and send me a DM and say you liked the show. That makes me feel good, too. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Robert. Where I want to begin is um, with A Light No More and the woman who lived amongst the cannibals. Um, they're, they're published through the... Um, Oh, what's he called it? The Crypt Editions, which means that they've been out in the world before. So what's the, the publishing history of these two books? Uh, the publishing history of these two books is that I initially self-published them. Uh, and I have the, the original editions right here. Um, pretty, pretty much... Uh, exactly what inside the castle ended up uh, reissuing uh that was his kind of stipulation is that it's the same thing the one thing that we changed is the uh the covers are slightly different um so the the first one that uh i self-published was the woman who lived amongst the cannibals and so it has the let's see same cover art, uh, which is done by an artist that I've um, worked with a number of times, uh, Matt Kish. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> publishing history of that book uh, was a kind of a long and frustrating one. I actually finished writing that book in early 2013. Uh, I had a... Um, an agent at the time who was shopping a different book that had kind of stalled. And um, what I what I sent uh, um, him this manuscript, he was kind of like, well, this is no more commercial than the other one you sent me. Uh, so that kind of went through a, a several year process of trying to find a home and, and not really being happy with um, the way the things were, were looking for it. And finally, I decided that I might as well just put it out on my own. And I, I had become pretty frustrated with uh, publishing at that point. I had had a lot of uh, 
I, you know, I, I don't want to be critical of anyone. It's just, you know, it's just the nature of the thing. And, uh, you know, and I, my goals, I guess I had to figure out what I wanted out of publishing. Do I want to make money? Do I want to make a name for myself? Do I want to just write the, the best thing that I can and uh, have an audience in it? And I, I, uh, I ultimately decided that, that I wasn't willing to do the thing that I, I didn't want to do. Like, I'm just too stubborn. And while I was kind of going through that process, I was working on A Light No More. Uh, at A Light No More, uh, that writing process was kind of informed by some changes that were going on in my life. Uh, and um, those kind of life changes uh, involving publishing. And I, I moved uh, cross country and I was suddenly living in a totally different place and I didn't have a job anymore. Like all this stuff was going on. My writing process changed a bit and, and suddenly I was open to uh, writing in a different style. Um, I was finding that I, I, up until this point, I would, every morning I would sit down at my laptop and I would, I would write like a lot and really long sentences and very kind of involved broke prose. And, uh, I really wanted to, uh, uh, I was reading a lot of like, uh, the old masters, uh, like old prose stylists said, uh, you know, like old, old, um, and a light no more. Suddenly, when I was working on that particular book, everything became uh, a lot smaller. I didn't have the, the. I don't know if it was because emotionally I wasn't in the the same place or whatever, but everything became very fragmented and very uh, a, a lot smaller. And so this book uh, that I was working on, uh, the the prose style became very fragmented. It became closer to like, I started reading Emily Dickinson mm. and I started reading a lot of poets and I, um, her Dickinson's punctuation started to kind of, uh, uh, I was already writing in this fragmented style and I was using a lot of dashes, but reading Dickinson, I became kind of, I was like, well, if Emily Dickinson can do this. Uh, then why can't I uh, incorporate this into a uh, an actual book? Why does it have to just be like a fragment? I I was treating the thing that I was writing as kind of like fragmented outlines or like notes or whatever, and I kept coming back to it like I don't really want to change this. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to expand on it the way that I used to. Uh, so. While I was working on that book, I decided to publish the other book. And when I looked at the other book, at this manuscript that was 50,000 words long or whatever, I was like, this is too much. This is, this is not right. This is just... And so I hacked it up and I whittled it down. Maybe like half of it just ended up getting deleted. And so I, I arrived at uh, the text for the woman who lived amongst the cannibals. 
uh, after maybe three months of really intense uh, editing, I had set aside a light no more at that point. Uh, and I was really excited to, to I, it felt very liberating, like, okay, now everything's finally falling into place. I don't have to worry about uh, if somebody would publish this anymore. And honestly, I knew that when somebody opened the book and saw how, uh, I mean, there are a lot of pages like this, where there's like three, four words on it and a lot of pages, that, a lot of white space and a lot of like wasted space. I, I knew that it wasn't the kind of thing that anyone was really going to take seriously anyway, but I liked it. It's the kind of thing that I always wanted to do. Uh, so I got a, uh, while I was editing it, I got an artist, uh, got Matt involved. Um, he created the uh, illustrations. And I don't know anything about uh, publishing, right? Like I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not a, I'm not an editor. I'm not a designer. Um, so I, ha uh, I had to learn how to do that while I was working on this book. And I'm sorry if this is a convoluted answer, uh, but it was, a very yeah. kind of, it was a very, uh, it was a, a time in my life where I was like, uh, the thing I thought I was going to be doing no longer applies. Uh, I'm in control of everything now. And and I liked that. And it was very freeing. Uh, so, but I had to teach myself a lot of stuff. And that was really frustrating as well. Like I had to uh, try to learn how to use InDesign and, and all of these things that I never really, like, really learned how to do um, in any kind of, like, I couldn't edit a book for somebody else. But I, I was functional enough with it that I could sit down and kind of, like, uh, typeset and make sure that when the files were ready they and went to the to the printer that everything was going to be fine uh, and I I had some help uh, people who knew what they were doing uh, and anyway so when I finished that book um, I did a, a like a pre-order thing uh, basically where uh, I was kind of determining how many copies I was going to print based on how many people wanted to buy the book. And so my, my first uh, experience self-publishing was basically um, I'm, I'm going to print maybe 200 copies or I think it was like 178 copies, something like that. Uh, because the, the printer does more than what you order or whatever. Uh, and I think I had like 30 copies left over that I, I sold. Um, and I, uh, I sold after I, I received them uh, and when the pre-orders were going out. And I ended up making more money from that than I, I had made from many of my books that have been published through smaller presses or whatever, like a lot more. And I thought, well, hell, this is great. Uh, I have total control. I don't have to worry about if somebody's going to um, look over my shoulder and say, like, can, can we change this? Can we smooth this out? Can we make this more uh, commercial? And I never had anyone up until that point tell me 
to change something. But what I had was people making a lot of uh, like comments that that kind of were supposed to be like worms that went into my brain that uh, got me thinking in that direction, like like suggestions, like real subtle kind of suggestions. And I didn't have to worry about that anymore. So uh, when that kind of ran its course, I went back to a light no more. And I, I put that together, oh man, uh, in a few months. Uh, and the process of putting together a light no more was totally different than cannibals because now I was really working on it with the, it was maybe half complete. Uh, I thought it was almost totally complete when I went back to it. It was about half complete. It was completely different than what it ended up being. Uh, but now I put it together knowing that I was going to self-publish it. So now I had total free reign. And the editing and publishing process, the writing process were all in the design process. Like all of that was totally intermixed. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the book that ultimately came about was because now I, I knew that I was going to be doing it. So there are a lot of images in it uh, that I started working on as I was writing the book and as I was developing the book. So I was thinking about design elements as I was writing it. I was thinking about how it was going to look on the page and kind of writing it and editing it with that in mind. Uh, and it was, again, really liberating to not have to worry about, like, is this long enough for, I think the book is like 7,000 words. Is this long? Can, can a 7,000-word book uh, that I inflate 200 pages, is that publishable? It is if I say so. Uh, are people going to want to buy it? I'm not going to force it on them. I'm going to do pre-orders, and if people want to buy it, they can buy it. Um, so... Uh, and I, and I should also say that I was never going to reprint these. I was never going to republish them. Mm. Uh, when Cannibals came out in, I think, 2017 and A Light No More came out in 2018, uh, that was going to be it. And I was, I think partly that was out of bitterness. Like, well, nobody wants to publish this uh, to, to hell with, you know, I've put it out. The people who want to read it are going to read it. And... I, I put the PDFs up on my website and I was like, anyone else wants to read it, they can read it. Uh, and, and if you look at the originals, uh, the originals, my name is not on either of them, uh, uh, on either the cannibals, the ca cannibals has the, the original self-published cannibals has the title on the spine and there's a title page. But a light no more doesn't have my name or a title on it, and part of that was again, I don't have to worry about selling it. There's no blurbs. There's no nothing. Uh, but I think I was also like consciously thinking about like these things as objects, kind of mysterious objects that somebody discovers somewhere. Um, but I was also thinking about it in terms of the only people who are going to buy this are people who already know me. I don't have to sell anyone on it. They're buying it because they're 
um, they're invested in me. Um, so, uh, I, I think the one bookstore that ended up with a light no more, it was just like this object sitting on a display there. They had five copies and no author name, no title. And people would pick it up and they bought it. Like, uh, uh, I was surprised they were gone in a couple of weeks. Uh, and eventually I got like a couple emails from people like, I think you're the author of this strange <laughs> book that I, that I found. And I thought that was cool. Uh, and then I would get emails from people saying like, listen, my friend has this strange book. I want to buy a copy. Can I get a copy? Uh, you know, like a couple a year or whatever. It's like, no, the, they don't exist anymore. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about, you know, I will go through these periods where I be, I'm, I'm very um, difficult uh, and cantankerous, I guess, at uh, like the hell with the world. And then I think about it and I think about the artists that I admire who are like that and how frustrating they are <laughs> uh, and how I wish that uh, it was easier to get a hold of their work or that maybe they were more prolific or, you know. Uh, and so I started kind of thinking like, maybe there, there's only a handful of people out in the world who are interested in getting a physical copy of this. Like, I, it's not like uh, people are pounding at my door, but every time I have to tell somebody, listen, I'm sorry, uh, you, you're one of the few people in the world who's, what's the new Robert Claus book and you can't get it. Uh, I felt bad about that. So uh, around this time, I, this is maybe 20, well, I guess around the time that I was self-publishing these books, I came across uh, the Inside the Castle uh, and I was really excited by their books and uh, I, I thought they were doing a lot of cool things. and. In the back of my mind, I was like, if I ever do another book with the intention of publishing it with somebody else, I want these guys to do it. And so I, I sent uh, John and Inside the Castle, I, I sent him both of the um, self-published books and he liked them. So I guess kind of probably already in the back of my mind, I was thinking of doing something with them. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and uh, a lot of life changes again and start reflecting on things and start thinking about like, uh, you know, suddenly I, my, my career looks different. I, I teach, I'm a, um, I teach college. And suddenly uh, I'm thinking uh, about that and like a lot of existential questions. And uh, anyway, I, I, got the impulse to just like ask John if, if he would reissue them through inside the castle. And, uh, uh, he did. And I didn't really have to do much with that. I, um, I wanted a different cover for a light no more. Uh, so I, um, asked my, my friend, uh, wonderful artist, uh, Devin Sacconi, if she would do a new cover and she did a new cover. And then uh, John, pretty much, I sent him the InDesign files and I was really worried that they weren't, like I had totally 
lost whatever knowledge I used to have. I just had like these files on my computer that no longer worked because I didn't have the program anymore. Uh, I was worried that he was going to say like, there's nothing on these or they don't work or you're going to have to like completely rewrite it or we're going to have to scan these books. But it worked and uh, he put them out and uh, I'm glad, you know, I, um, I'm really glad they're out again and and hopefully they, they stay out. So that's the story. That's I, I hope that was coherent. Uh, in my mind, it was a very incoherent time, but a really important time for me. Yeah, I, I think that's a good story. I like that um, it kind of combines a lot of elements, uh, a lot of feelings that a lot of people who have been on the show have expressed and that I myself feel um, with regard to publishing. And I had um, someone on here before who was like, yeah, I've had three agents and nobody's been able to get anything done. And... Um, all kinds of stuff. Um, I have I've had William Watson on a couple times, who who publishes, just self publishes mostly, and um, I went through this period where I was kind of feeling like I was going to self publish, and then I made friends, and now we're thinking about doing something together with putting books out, and so like the the path for a book is almost never straight, uh, especially for people like us who who have a weird drum to march to the beat of um with your your previous books um i was looking through goodreads and it seemed like they had um like a decent amount of like reviews and ratings and stuff um were those all out through other publishers too or were um yeah so um the first novel that i wrote was the alligators of abraham and uh that was published by mud Lush's press uh in 2012 and um mud Lush's press uh was great uh uh maybe six months after it was published by mud Lush's press the book the the press went mm defunct uh the publisher jay tyler was doing everything on his own he's putting everything together on his kitchen table and he was he's got a a family and a job that he was writing a lot himself um you know so uh he was like i can't do this anymore there's too much strain and and uh it was one of those situations that uh taught me a lot because uh, I was really ambitious at that time. I wanted this, the book to sell uh, a lot. Uh, and I thought like, there's no reason that a small publisher like this can't sell a lot. Um, uh, it happens in music all the time. Something like breaks through and all of a sudden, uh, and, and this is 2012, 2011, uh, there was a lot of like, my friends were moving on to like larger publishers uh, or having books that had been previously published by small presses uh, picked up by uh, like Penguin or whatever would buy them. And so I was like, that kind of thing can happen. Um, 
But the problem was that for a, a small publisher like that, it costs money to print books. And uh, he wasn't able to keep up with demand. He, he got too big too fast and wasn't able to do it. So anyway, uh, that uh, book went out of print after like six months. And it was uh, a really difficult pick for me because it was my first novel and it meant a lot, of course. Uh, and so uh, over the next few years, I, I published it again. Um, or I was, I had to um, contract a place to, to reissue it with another press that never came about. Hmm. Uh, published it again through uh, civil coping mechanisms in like 2015. Uh, and then um, uh, after a couple of years, that went out of print again. So that was kind of, uh, yeah, it was published through other people. Um, but it had like this agonizing series of experiences. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm a different writer than I was when I wrote that, but I still think about like, can we get this like a, a home that it's not going to be out of print um, at some point. Um, and then my second novel, um, I wrote that right after Alligators of Abraham. Like, uh, I always write things like right after I finish something. Like the next day, I'm like, "Well, what am I writing now?" And mm -hmm. um, so, with that one, I wanted to uh, write something even crazier and more, more everything. Uh, and then Mud Lush is folded, and I was like, "Well, maybe I don't want to go with a, a very small press anymore." So I. I started writing this book um, thinking I would maybe get it with a, a larger publisher as a lot of my friends were at the time. And uh, anyway, uh, I ended up, this is when I ended up getting an agent and uh, went through the whole process. Like uh, every publisher in, in New York uh, turned it down like that whole thing. And uh so that was published eventually with uh, a publisher that was just starting out uh, out of L.A., uh, unnamed press. Uh, and I guess they're doing really well now. Um, eight, eight years later, they're doing really well. Um, but I was like one of their first books. Uh, and um, yeah, so that I'm still of this book i think matt kish did the cover i think it's a cool cover um but you know it it wasn't in hindsight uh we weren't like a good fit for each other um mm -hmm. you know they were i think they were still kind of figuring out like what they wanted to do um and i was figuring out like what i wanted to do with publishers and um they uh they took on a book that was different than, than what they wanted to sell. Mm. Um, and so, uh, anyway, long story short, uh, th that experience kind of taught me a lot of lessons about trying to make something happen for a, a project that maybe, uh, shouldn't happen, uh, that trying to, to gain success through the, the back door, um, and kind of sneaking something 
onto the to the shelves in a way, uh, which just in the long run, it was just uh, I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's harm. It's it's of no use to anyone. Uh, Ed, um, my work tends to be um, a, a good friend of mine uh, for many years. Read uh, my first two books, and he said, uh, "You know, uh, if you weren't my friend, I wouldn't have continued reading these because they were so violent mm. and so extreme." And uh, so. I, I think I learned, uh, this is another long winding answer, but I, I think I learned that my work, even when it seemed to me like my work was more conventional conventional, and ready for a larger audience, it was gonna be a big turnoff for, for people who like the kind of things that I thought this book was. Uh, so I, I think going through that whole process kind of taught me about my place in the publishing world and where I looked at my friends kind of uh, um, making a, a, a staking a claim in kind of the larger publishing world that I just wasn't that character. Um, I, I just wanted to make things more um you know, just in all ways, like I wanted to push the language further and I wanted to get rid of, like they talked about how maybe like there wasn't enough plot or character. And I was like, what do you mean? There's isn't enough plot. There's too much plot. I want to get rid of plot. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, just difficult sometimes uh, with the decisions I made, I guess. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think that's all fascinating. I think the like amount of time that you've spent, um, you know, working and adjusting, um, is probably like good to, to think about. I, I feel like, and maybe this isn't true. Um, but I feel like a lot of people I talk to, like, um, have a hard time getting published but then find a place and it's a good fit. And then everything from there is more, more easy. Um, that's, that's like, I'm always looking for that forever home. Right. You know, like who's going to take me in and nurture me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think that's, you know, that's frustrating obviously as the writer, but I, it's frustrating to, as a reader, right? Like when you, I think about small presses as their large benefit being the curatorial process, right? I, I've, I talk all the time about how I know sight unseen, I'll buy an inside the castle book. I'm going to have a decent enough time with it to justify the expense. Um, and in fact, probably going to really like the book. I I know that like Apocalypse Party does that too. And, um, you know, several other publishers, like that's what they're there for, for me is they're like a record label. Um, whereas like, I can't randomly buy a Harper perennial book and know it's going to be good. (laughs) 
it's like, well, I read 300 million, so the next Harper Perennial is going to be great. Um, it's <laughs> right. just not going to be the case. Um, I saw someone post on social media that uh, the woman who lived amongst the cannibals aligns exactly with what I want from fiction, but I can't explain it. Um, yeah. And and I kind of found a similar thing. I read A Light No More first. Um, and, and this is where your answer was super interesting for me about how they sort of like came to be like in this sort of layered simultaneous mm -hmm. sort of way. But um, A Light No More is, I think, Crypt Edition 3 and The Woman Who Lived Amongst the Cannibals is Crypt Edition 4. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll read this one first. But Oh, really? I didn't know that. I didn't realize that they were in that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, so I was, I just said, okay, well, I'll read A Light No More first. And I did. Um, and then... You know, the conversation that two books have with each other when you read them close together um, is something I've been thinking a lot l lately. And I was, so I was kind of like, okay, so the woman who lived amongst the cannibals is him sort of like solidifying, keeping the prose style, um, but stripping away much of the images and, and building a more concrete story um, when sort of it's like the reverse in yeah. reality where you're like focusing more on on the fragmented fragmented nature and uh and and whatnot um so i think that's funny I, I guess i don't have too much um to add about that aside from the fact that it's just funny to me yeah. the assumptions one makes about about writing when you only have the writing to go off of yeah um and maybe this is why some writers don't like to talk about their work because they're interested in the the stories that people tell about them or whatever but <laughs> um like it does it does kind of make sense i think especially from this sphere of of writing that things tend to get more esoteric over time um rather than less i almost wish that it went in the direction that that you thought it did because then i think i would have been building towards something instead of stripping it away mm -hmm. building towards something that means you've got a, a direction and you could just like keep adding to it but i was stripping things away and so after a light no more i'm like fuck you know uh where do i go from here like how uh and it took a while to figure out what what all this is going to mean. And, and I tried a million different, uh, you know, I always try like every possible point of view and prose style that I could think of. And the first thing that I did was like, it's gotta be more minimal. So I was writing like, uh, I think the, the book I was writing was like 40 pages, um, 200 words or something like that. Like it was just ridiculous. I'm like, nobody, I don't want to read this. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's always going to be my, uh, kind of my litmus is, this is something that, that I actually would want to read, uh, you know, and not just like an experiment that's kind of cool. Um, so it, it took me a long time to kind of figure out like, 
how to how to take the impulses artistically that I had and and the stuff that because I don't think I can ever really go back to writing the kind of thing that I started out writing. I I, I can write that way, but I can't accept it. Like I I can't I it 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 feels wrong, and I have to prune it away. Uh, but I don't want to just. I, I want to write novels. You know, I I accept that. I think in these kind of broader or larger canvases. Uh, so trying to figure out how to write a novel and a novel size thing when everything has to be fragmented and stripped away. Uh, it it took a couple of years. Um, after a light no more before I had, and I, and I try to write every day. Um, and I'm always working on just the one thing. It took me a couple of years before I, I had like any kind of direction, uh, just because of the stylistic limitations. And I really painted myself into a quarter. And I always have this voice in my head that's like, um, you could always, uh, right for a larger audience like maybe you know and so i'll try that for a bit and i have no idea what that means like i don't read anything commercial the only commercial things i read are books by by people who are out of favor you know mm -hmm. long dead and out of favor uh you know uh, uh the living writers that i used to read are have been dying a lot lately mm -hmm. there's like it's like one left alive and i'm not going to say the name because <laughs> i don't want to jinx them right but uh so i don't really have any like i couldn't sell out even if i tried like even if i thought i could i don't i don't know what it means to uh but anyway uh i'll have that impulse and then i'll i'll have the other voice that says like no 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 you need to like go harder and somewhere uh, in the process of writing one thing that seems like the the more um, inviting version of the thing in my mind and the harder version of the thing, like it kind of meets in the middle. Uh, and after a certain point, I, I arrive at the, the finished state. Uh, so I don't know what that means. It's it's not like a compromise. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm I'm compromising in some way a vision so that I can make it acceptable to people. But I have like these Im impulses as a as an artist to make something that is uh, uh, plotless and non-narrative and uh, almost completely atmospheric and very kind of languagey and dense and difficult. But I also have this impulse toward, um, you know, I, I think um, most of the stuff I read that's overly abstract or plotless, I, I lose interest in it. It doesn't affect me. Uh, and I can admire uh, it on some level, but that those aren't my favorite books. My favorite book is Moby Dick. Moby Dick has a very uh, simple story, but it's a it's a narrative. Um, and uh, if we were to so 
I have these impulses and I have to like reconcile them. And the, the further along I go, the harder it is to reconcile them because uh, the, you know, one book has to be more extreme in some ways than the other because the, I think the thing that drives me is, is uh, it's, it's, it's not finding an audience. It's not publishing a book that uh, a lot of people are going to read, or it's not like, it's not the thing that motivates other. It's uh, even if nobody publishes these things, I get up every day and I, I work at it. And it's a very frustrating, very, very frustrating process. Like I don't, um, you know, it's uh, almost abusive what I do to myself sometimes. And I, you know, like I have all this, this work that I put into these things. So why do I do it? Um, and, and it's, you know, working through these challenges, these impossible to meet challenges. So once I, I do one thing, it has to be more extreme in some way in order to, to create a challenge. And, and it's not a challenge. Like I should clarify It's not like, um, uh, I'm, I'm writing, you know, I don't set like a challenge. Like I'm not writing without the letter E today. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't articulate it to myself. I kind of eventually arrive at like, this is too, you know, there's too much story here where I want to, uh, do something here that, that this other thing didn't go far enough into. Uh, so that's also difficult. Like, figuring out what that challenge is like what's that thing that i need to push toward that's going to really make me excited or you know it's going to feel like it's um validating and i worry about that too because the older i get uh i don't want to uh stop finding that thing uh you know the more books i write the harder it's going to get to want to keep going with writing but i i know enough about myself at this point that i'm always going to want to keep going with it nothing's going to replace it when i was doing a light no more that's a very visual book there are more images than words in that book almost mm -hmm. i was like well maybe that's the thing i'm doing now maybe i want to like become a visual artist i don't have any talent as a visual artist i i tried that i I bought like, uh, uh, I was like, well, I'm going to learn how to draw a charcoal and I'm going to create, I can't, I'm no good at it. Um, and I don't have the patience to try to, you know, I'm too old to, to relearn things. I guess I don't have, like, I've spent, um, the three, over three decades learning how to write and, um, learning, unlearning how to write, uh, uh, forgetting everything I learned and I, I can't go through that. I, I'll be dead before I go through that process with another discipline. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of stuck with it, but I don't know, uh, what happens when you paint yourself into that final corner, I guess. Mm -hmm. I like that, um, conflict you talked about between this, like, the conflicting voices 
of like maybe I should write like this and maybe I should write like that and then you know finding where you land in between that I have that as well and also this idea of like um in a, in a very sort of public way like what sort of writer do I want to be you know um because yeah you you know for years I've had this image in my head of being like the long-haired bearded like forest hermit that just like come comes into the city every couple of years and says here's what i've created here's my book and people are like oh yep that's what he would have done um and do you ever find that like there's a tension for me and i wonder if you feel it too sometimes i'll write something that's very out of line with that idea of like you know the weird esoteric occultist horror writer guy or or you know the weird neo-pagan or whatever and it's just like oh this is kind of like silly um but it also feels really good to read like this is the most satisfying thing of mine that i've read um and then being like well how do i that's not on brand, but it's really good. Or maybe that's not something you worry about, like, branding-wise. Well, so... Yes. Uh, yes and no. Um, so I'll get ideas all the time. Uh, my my wife, Megan Lamb, uh, who you know, uh, is, a, is a wonderful writer. Uh, Ed had... Uh, very spontaneously creative like uh it seems like ideas flow from her easily mm. and so we'll kind of like banter about things and we're like um kind of my go-to is like well we should start a youtube channel where we just like do this stuff and so in the process of kind of like talking about things it's like oh i guess i get a lot of ideas for silly things or for like fun things or things that are like uh, satiric or uh, that would be really off brand for me. Uh, but I never get the impulse to write them anymore. Mm. And sometimes I can envision them right away. Uh, like this is exactly how it would be. Uh, but I, I know that if I sat down to actually write them, I would lose interest immediately. Uh, and, uh, I went through a long process. Uh, I went to my MFA program right out of undergrad, and I went through a wrong, long process from when I was uh, like 23, 24, entering MFA, when I was like going to solidify my voice to when I first started publishing, uh, seven years. And uh, I tried out just about every little thing I could like every idea that I had, like, this is the thing. Uh, and so I think going through that process and kind of looking back at some of the things that uh, I created and tried to get published, like my first book, my first novel, thank God that never saw the light of day, but it was like a, um, a slapstick metafictional uh noir retelling slash sequel to the great gatsby (laughs) 
you know, it was it was not a good thing. But I was, you know, I tried out like so many different uh, competing impulses that I had. And I think for me, I like refined the thing that I, I like doing and I feel ultimately like good about. So it's not necessarily like uh, I try to create a brand and stay on brand. It's the writing life for me has been about like figuring out like what's the thing that um, feels authentic versus what is the stuff that um, exterior to that that I enjoy and that I would that I like to read like for I like uh, for a long time I would read um, uh, I, I don't know like a, a humorous book funny book light book um, like uh, I don't know anything I can think of now off the top of my head isn't light, but uh, like uh, Tristan Shandy or something like that. Like I, w I love that book. Uh, I, I think it's a, a such an interesting. I could never write anything like that. I wish I could. I wish I could write it. Um, so uh, I don't know if I ever did write something like that that felt off brand. Uh, if I got to that point of actually finishing it, then I think I, I would feel that I had expanded my version of myself, like my idea of myself. Uh, and, and I think of, uh, you know, I always think of like the, this idea of the, the, the auteur, like the oeuvre and looking over like the, the career of, of this figure and how everything fits in. And, uh, I like those little weird moments that kind of stick out uh, where it's like, oh, that's strange that they tried that. And those are usually my favorite things, like the things that uh, don't necessarily fit into the rest of the work, but was like a, a weird kind of thing that didn't quite work out. Um, for some reason, I can only think of like uh, examples in music now like slayer doing a new metal album like the new metal album is the one i like the most uh but it's the one that tends to stick out so uh i think i would look at it that way if i ever and i always think about like why can't i write this other thing that would be um but i think my process of of uh doing that um is slower and more painful. So even when I feel like maybe I'm writing that thing, it gets abandoned and then it gets subsumed into the, the larger project. So maybe I, I, I write like 10 pages of that comedic novel and a paragraph maybe makes it into, or a, a, a paragraph is rewritten, and makes it into the larger thing. And it's no longer funny now, it's just like disturbing, mm -hmm. but. I don't know. I like that. That's interesting. I mean, like people talk an awful lot about how difficult writing is and um I think part of that is like what what we've been talking about here like, you know, something holding your attention. Um I've brought it up very recently, I think, on the show and maybe even in real life, Brian Jakes, who wrote the Red Wall books, uh, Medieval Mice for Kids books, um, 
would talk about how his battle scenes were always so good because he had to be excited about the battle while he was writing it. Um, and that's probably also why the food scenes are, are the way they are too, because he probably just wanted to write about food he wanted to eat. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe some of the difficulty of, of writing for some people comes from like having a hard time figuring out what is going to keep their attention. Um, especially if we're talking about like inner conflicts too, like what is keeping my attention versus like, what am I like, what, what do I have the ability to actually do? Right. Like, um, I think I would, I think I would be very, uh, entertained if I could actually write the sort of esoteric occultic, um, Clive Barker meets Samuel Beckett sort of novel that like is my, you know, grand, grand desire, but, um, you know, the ability is not there. I cannot write a 400 page paragraph that's four sentences long. That's, you know, Hellraiser meets Malloy. <laughs> um, the Cenobites never show up. They yeah. keep waiting for them and they never show up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just 60 pages of, of, um, of adjusting of the puzzle box over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> I moved it to the left and nothing happened. So I moved it to the right. What if I moved it to the left and then to the right and then to the left and then to the right? I think that'd be hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, like, is there a sort of like platonic ideal of like what the perfect Robert Kloss book looks like for you that like you notice certain things missing whenever you finish a new project uh no um you know whenever i finish something i always feel like i've taken the thing as far as it can go mm -hmm. uh so like but i'm also dissatisfied so I don't really, you know, maybe maybe I would have had a different answer eight years ago or six years ago, um, but now I think I'm I'm at a point where I don't really have. I used to have a very kind of set list of models, like I could have listed you off, like the the names of, um, you know, the cannibals begins with my kind of invoking uh, the, the artists that uh, inspired that book, Herman Melville, Virginia Woolf, Andre Tarkovsky, and Egypt Hong, where's it cool? Uh, you know, these uh, two filmmakers and, and two prose writers. Um, that was kind of like, you put all those things together and that was the thing that I wanted. I don't really have those. I don't really have models in my mind anymore. I don't have like, and it would probably be a lot. Uh, it would make a lot more sense at times in my, my writing life if I had like these texts that I aspired to. Um, but for the thing I'm working on now and the thing I finished um, last year. Uh, I don't think I've really had those anymore, uh, you know, and I don't know why that is. Uh, cause I used to get like those thoughts, like, 
not Beckett and Clive Barker. <laughs> uh, now that you mention it, like that's a that's a great idea. All um, yours. <laughs> I wish, uh, but uh, and and now I'm getting ideas for like funny film versions, like uh, the the Buster Keaton uh, uh, Beckett movie, but but with Hellraiser. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why that is, and sometimes I I think it's just um, it's alarming to me that I don't have that necessarily anymore and sometimes i think it's just about finding those texts um i don't read a lot of fiction anymore um i don't read a lot of like i don't read a lot of the things that i used to um i i read um more like uh history and um biographies and um, essays and things like that that kind of inform what it is that I'm going to write uh, in terms of like helping me shift my perspective, um, helping me see things in a different way. So I, I, you know, I guess the, the answer is like my version of, of the platonic ideal of the Robert Kloss novel is um, something I can't imagine yet, uh, and hopefully I figure it out at some point. Um, because lately, whenever I'm writing something, I I can't imagine ever finishing it. Mm. Think thankfully I I do tend to someday finish it, but um, the last two books I wrote, A Light No More, and uh, the book I wrote after that, I didn't figure out the final form of them until like the last uh, couple weeks that I was writing them. And I worked on them each for several years. And I, um, I had no idea at any point that I was any closer to the end until it snapped into place. And I was like, I'm basically done. Uh, so the, the vision gets no clearer until I'm it's like I'm walking through fog toward a door I hope is there, and then I, I accidentally run into it. Oh, oh, oh that's so scary. <laughs> yeah, that's how I like it, though. <laughs> a little discomfort. Right, yeah. I, I respect it. I, re I respect it even if I'm not in a place that I'd be able to do that now. Um, I, um, I really got... Uh, one one of the times I talked to Mike Correo and he talked about how it, like he thinks about the dimensions for the book and and the page count and then just fills it in with words, and I was like, oh, that's so freeing. Oh, that's so good because I know yeah. like if I need to to wrap it up or not. Yeah. Um, I do National Novel Writing Month every year and have for the past mm -hmm. like seven years, and it's like so great because I get to like forty five thousand words and I'm like, this is all about time to be done. <laughs> um, and and you know there's there's maybe a reason why i just write those books and put them away and 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 never touch them again um do you ever take anything from them though oh no i i have a hard time doing that too because um everything i write has so far all of those novels have been pretty self-contained and like mm. very much their own thing and um 
so like no i have a hard time taking from the the sort of cyberpunk neo-noir and the um you know the the rural surrealism and, and figuring out how to stitch them together but um you know i kind of wish i could do that i i feel like maybe i would feel like it was more efficient somehow or or something instead of having this google drive where it's like i should go through and do another draft and see if if, if something's going to work there but um my i think biggest challenge beyond that is that like i have too many ideas right i have to really be flying through drafts if i want to get everything down and so that's where nanorimo is nice because if i have like i want to do clueless but it's mall goths like I know to just like write some notes in a doc and then November rolls around and then I pump it out and then it's like, great. Okay, cool. I can focus on something else. But, um, yeah, I also talked to too many different people on here that I've been like getting ex- inspired twice a month yeah. by people who, even though I say, Oh, well, we're all in the same sort of ecosystem. Everybody is, is writing in different ways and for different reasons and, and coming to, you know, actually very different ends. Like, as much as I say that I know I'm going to like every Inside the Castle book, it's I can't like hold up Belfie Hell in a light no more and be like, these books are pretty much the same. Right. Um, and thank God that they're not, but also thank God that they, you know, um, hit the parts of my brain that I need hit when I pick up an Inside the Castle book. So, yeah. you know, I, it's always fascinating to me to see um you know the hows and the whys of people writing um because um you know i I run into people who write every day like you and the the motivations for doing so are are different Mm -hmm. um and from the outside someone who doesn't understand writing very much um will see the same thing but but sometimes there's vastly different things going on megan uh when she sees me go to my desk every day and her process is like totally it's the opposite of mine and when she sits down to write something like it's like the other day she wrote something she's like can i read this to you and it was like she could have like it was like a published Megan Lamb thing. How do you do that? And so she thinks that I'd be very productive, and and I'm not. I I hope that I am, but it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of stuff that hopefully someday congeals into something. Uh, and this isn't how I've always worked. Um, I used to be somebody who could sit down and write like three, 4,000 words in a, in a day and, and feel like a lot of that was pretty much what I set out to write and, and would end up keeping. But yeah, um, every day I, I kind of arrive like a blank slate. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I have to do it anyway because you never know. Rather than read from uh, the books that I just had published or republished uh, and that we've been talking about, I'm going to read from 
uh, my completed but unpublished manuscript, uh, The Genocide House. Um, and The Genocide House is a uh, impossible to, or I find it impossible to uh, summarize uh, the book um, without harming it. So uh, I'm just going to say that it's it's uh, it, in a number of uh, different sections, um, four larger sections and some shorter sections. Um, and uh, there are correspondences between the sections, but they are kind of unique to each other in this, uh, at the same time. And I'm just going to read uh, the first, I don't know, however many pages. Um, of the second section. The sky is rent with wires. It is no wonder a man cannot think. The city is whispering, locust sounds. No wonder I dream a stranger's voice. One cranes one's neck and sees the sun lacerated, drawn open. A wire can be pulled taut and through a man's neck before it is impeded by the spine. The vital fluid sprays the walls, even the ceiling. A mechanism, horseless will. They will butcher horses in the streets, hack open their necks, shoot them between the eyes. Blood melts the snow and meat piles steaming. There are moments wherein one perceives their fate. Perhaps. For so long, I believe this the sound of my voice. Are you the man come to bring oblivion? Did a dead God dream you open a mouth crimson and you climbed free? It is true, I no longer sleep for when I close my eyes, a vision singular appears. A room much like this room, yet it is not. Through windows and loom, no, lightless. Somewhere in this room stand bodies, shadows, perhaps. They speak. There are moments in this room I know I am not myself. For years I have watched them enter our gate, come a thousand miles to our facilities, men bearded, freshly shaven, suits, watch chains, bankers, speculators, daughters, doctors, politicians, school marms, children. They perceive clouds of smoke, the fumes blacken. They cover their noses with handkerchiefs. I have watched men vomit at the smell. There is no shame, it is a natural reaction to an air of... Of course, the air is pungent, moist with blood and shit, lard burning. It is true what they say, the rivers have run red, bubbled with fat, awful. Rushed to slaughter, there is a beauty in the confused parade. The hogs' delicate brutes are cooled first. Boys rub their flanks with chilled water, fear of a meat fevered. Do they know every motion, alien and strange, the very air, beaconed with murder? The killing floor itself, you see here, the world made new, mechanical liberation of life from flesh. The spirit flees in terror, 
spews forth in the blood 7,500 hogs a day. We must take great care. The slightest bruise will devalue the meat. Here a boy child fastens the chain to the hog's ankle. The wheel turns. What awful motion. A 300-pound hog torn from the ground screaming. The sticker's easy movement like a machine himself within a vast mechanical organism. And the blood is freed, torrent spray. The hog is no more. Already the wheel progresses. A new hog screams. Darkness then and again and again. The constant tide of scream and flesh Tide of beasts split in twain, viscera removed, clumps of gut and organ glistening. Boy children sweep blood cloth, sawdust, meat filth into gutters. The sticker punctures, punctures, slapped in blood, gore. It loses all meaning. These are motions he carries out in his sleep. There is only the task. He and his fellows, a thousand in unison. They do not slow in until it is all dead. The body itself, the sacred human body, its cock and tongue and fingers, heartbeat and lungs, is no more than a mechanism of fluid and atom, a machine constructed by a dead god to murder and shit, to create device, to create murder devices to set his task more leisurely. The more we murder, the more we must create. Flesh grown from other flesh, cum and blood, microbes congealing and blossoming. The fruit moans into the world, slick with filth and skin, wild matted hair. The thing itself is blind, totters, eyes and veins, teeth, brutish, dull-witted. They outnumber us by the millions. How quickly we brutalize them into nothing. How quickly they revive. It continues even in the still night, even in a universe silent and asleep. The creatures, perhaps their souls, spirits, spasming, shitting and baying, the shriek of awareness, and some rough dead sound, a mallet punishes a skull, groaning chains, the mechanism proceeds. There are moments when one's destiny does Clara is alone here. I discovered you, I tell her. In the exchange building, she sat. One woman amidst a thousand. Their typing machines, stiff mechanical clatter. I pulled you from the filth, I say. It is not a courtship. Something far more momentous holds us together. Come, I told her one afternoon. I will show you the floor. That first day, we did not yet speak openly. I did not yet say, if only we could freeze the moment when the spirit flees, its eyes, the flesh itself, when a hog becomes a carcass, and yet not. I did not yet say, we live in a place beyond their screams, yet we long to dwell within. They sound almost human, she said, and she did not look away. No, I have never seen her not in command. She once told me she is from St. Louis, the daughter of a pharmacist. She fled on a steamship, smoke, men, their hats, rumpled suits, linen, ladies at the railing, vagrants, wandering the waters. 
I close my eyes, Clara, a child amidst the sickened panorama. Were you terrified, I ask? Terror is, she began, and then I could no more bear them was all she would say. Another day, she tells me she was married in Texas, a burnt land, cattle, the skulls of cattle. He was a rancher, perhaps. Where is this husband now, I asked. What if I said I killed him? Was he a drunk, I asked, a lout? Would that make it better? I shrug, perhaps. What if I told you he was a kind man, timid, gave children sweets, what to see a deer shot and open? What if I told you I cut his throat while he slept out of pity, disgust? We were not yet open, exposed when I came here because of death, Clara wrote. The air seems curdled, putrid. Her hand falls onto my lap. I open it. I will be her lover, she whispers. I say nothing. I do not even look at her. My throat is full of blood, heat. How she laughs. Perhaps she believes she has shocked me. Later, she will insist the wine got the better of her. But I will remember she had no wine.